Thank you, Aaron. I love that song, and I love the line, what, what peace we often forfeit when we fail to take our burdens to God in prayer. Uh, if you have children, kindergarten through third grade, um, they can dismiss downstairs with Mr. Justin. There he is. Uh, go have children's uh, class with uh, Mr. Justin. It's going to be a great day. If your children are staying with us and they would like, there are some sermon notes designed for your children on the back table to go along with the sermon. Uh, they can fill out one of those and come see me afterwards, uh, and I'll have some candy uh, for them. Uh, but welcome to Living Hope Church. We are uh, back in our series today that we've been titled, titling Shining in Babylon. Um, and in this series, we are looking primarily at the book of Daniel and seeing how God called Daniel, his friends, and the Jews in exile to live out their faith in the midst of a foreign nation. And we talked about it, but this is so relevant for us today as Christians because the Bible tells us that our citizenship lies in heaven and that we are like exiles in this world in which we live. But the good news in the Bible is that it has given us clear instruction on how it is we are called to live in the world, what our purpose is in the world, and how it is we can shine for Jesus in the midst of this world. Our theme verse for this series has been Daniel 12:3, which reads, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. So our call, our mission as we live for Jesus in this world is not to damn the world to hell. It's not to conquer it through politics. It's not to isolate and hide from it. But our call, our mission as Christians is to shine like stars for God and to lead as many, to pe many people as possible to righteousness, which is found in Jesus alone. As Christians, if we want to shine, we want to be the light of the world, as Jesus said. And we do that as we live out our lives in this world. Today, we come to Daniel chapter 3, uh, which is one of the most extraordinary stories of faith and courage in the Bible. In this passage, we will see what it is to stand up for, for your faith, why it is you would stand up for your faith, and what the fallout could potentially be for standing up for your faith. We're going to see the danger of arrogance and pride, two dangers that we're going to continue to see throughout this book. Uh, so we'll jump into Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to look at the what faith in Babylon meant for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. All right, so King Nebuchadnezzar last week, remember he had a bad dream in Daniel chapter 2, but he has obviously not learned uh, his lesson from this. And he builds this image in direct response to God's vision and Daniel's interpretation. In Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream last week in Daniel 2, God revealed to him that he was, there, was, there was this statue. And he was the head of that statue and it was made of gold. But he, in that dream he revealed that one day that head would be replaced. The chest was made of silver, and it represented the Medes and Persians that would conquer Babylon between uh, Daniel chapter 5 and chapter 6. The dream continued with other materials that represented other kingdoms and dynasties that would conquer and eventually replace the other. And this dream was a strong message to Nebuchadnezzar and to Babylon that their reign would one day end. And it should have been a humble reminder of their temporal nature. Instead, here, Nebuchadnezzar doubles down on himself and Babylon, and he challenges God's vision with his own image. And instead of an image that included multiple materials and kingdoms, he builds an image made totally out of gold from head to toe. This is an incredible display of Nebuchadnezzar's pride and arrogance. He is saying, God, I am bigger, 
I am more powerful and all should bow down and worship me. And we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar's pride is going to continue to give him issues throughout his life. But we'll get there in future weeks. And if you're here and you're curious, 60 cubits is about 90 feet high. And 6 cubits is about 9 feet wide. So as you imagine this image, this, this, uh, this shrine he has built in your mind's eye, it's less Statue of Liberty in shape and more kind of like the Washington Monument uh, with some sort of a human image on it. One other note on this, there are multiple other historical sources outside of the Bible that tell us that a giant statue existed on the plains of Dura. So Nebuchadnezzar builds this image, he gathers the people, he challenges God, and he says, bow down to me. Verse 2. Nebuchadnezzar then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So here he gathers all the governmental officials, and he asks them to bow down before him, and he uses this as a test of their allegiance to him and the nation. Verse 4, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So this is an incredible scene that is unfolding here on the plains of Dura. Nebuchadnezzar has gathered the best musicians to set the tone for this event. There's a huge mass of people, and they are there to worship the king. Some scholars estimate that there are up to a million people gathered on the plains of Dura before this image, ready to bow and worship the king. And then there's also this furnace sitting off on the side, blazing, ready to burn anyone who does not bow down before the image. I mean, this is like one of those communist nations where they say they had a democratic vote in which the leader was reelected by 99.5% of the vote. There is no option here. The peer pressure on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is unbelievable. The music is pulling at their emotions. The furnace is threatening their lives. And they're surrounded by a million people falling on their face to worship, to worship this image. It is hard to stand for truth in a group of ten but unbelievably difficult to stand for truth in the midst of a million in opposition. So let's see what these three would do as a response. Verse 7, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So the stage is set, the music plays, the people bow down and worship. And three young Jewish men remain standing. And what we're going to see is apparently the king didn't see this at first, but some lovely fellow political leaders bring it to the king's attention. Right? There's always a tattletale in the group, always someone who will try and tear you down to get themselves ahead. Verse 8, here they are, the astrologers. At this time, some astrologers came forward and they denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the furnace. But there are some Jews among you who, have set up, who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. 
They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. What we're going to see, we're going to see credit to Nebuchadnezzar, who doesn't just listen to this gossip, but he's going to call the men forward to hear their story, to hear of its truth, and to give them one more chance to bow down and worship the king in Babylon. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, then very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Two really big things right here. First of all, can you imagine the pressure on these men? In a large crowd, there is some hope that they might go unnoticed. But now, here we are before the king with a furnace raging off to the side. I can't even comprehend or describe the pressure. This is standing before the person with the gun asking you to recant God. Recant your faith or face the severe consequences. So they have this extreme pressure as they stand before the king. Second thing we see in this is the incredible pride and arrogance of Nebuchadnezzar. He says, what God can rescue you from my hands? If you notice, the the God here is lowercase in your Bible. And so Nebuchadnezzar isn't just speaking of Yahweh, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he is talking about all gods, even those Babylonian gods, which he says he worships and operates under. So what Nebuchadnezzar really here is saying, he's saying, I am God, and no one, no being is bigger than me. Let's go to verse 16 and see the faith of these young men. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for this account that we have to study and worship. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness and the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, I pray that as we study this passage that you would uh, reveal those areas in our lives where you are calling us to uh, courageously have faith and follow you. God, that you would reveal those areas where we have drifted and, and we may be worshiping uh, idols or, or other things other than you in our lives. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to turn those back to you and to trust them in your lives. God, I pray that we would be a people that live out our faith with courage day in and day out. And God, I just pray that you would reveal, uh, reveal your truth to us today. God, we love you and we praise you as your name we pray. Amen. Well, Merriam-Webster defines courage as the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. And that is exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do in this story. They stand literally in the face of the masses, in the face of the king's order, in the face of death, in the face of the music and the pressure all around them. So where does that kind of courage come from? And how can we have that kind of courage in the world today? Our title, our overarching theme for this passage is Courage in Babylon. But again, where does that courage come from? And what would it look like for us today? So our first point is this, and that is that courage comes from conviction. 
To have courage in this world, it takes conviction, and that's what these men had. And the conviction that these men had was that God alone is God. We saw that a lot last week. They believed that Yahweh was the one true God and that he alone was worthy of worship. And if we want to have courage in this world, then we too have to believe that God alone is God. We have to believe that Jesus alone is Lord and that he is the only way to salvation and eternal life. And if we hold to that conviction, then in a world of idolatry, in a world of no absolute truth, we will face opposition and we will face temptation. We, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are tempted daily to bow down to other gods and idols. Now, we don't have a government building statues and demanding we bow down before them, but idolatry is so much more than statues. We've used this definition before, but I like it. An idol is something that has taken on ultimate worth in your life. It's the thing you couldn't imagine life being good without. It, instead of God, becomes your primary security, fulfillment, or identity. An idol is not usually a bad thing, but it's usually a good thing that we have made a God thing. And we are bombarded with these messages from our world and from our culture that call us to idolatry. Culture tells us to sacrifice everything to make more money so you can be healthy. Culture tells us that if you have the bigger house with the right car in the driveway and the right clothes in the closet, then you will be happy and satisfied. Culture says sell your family, your future, your soul to get whatever it is that you desire so that you can find happiness. The world tells us that we need a new relationship, a new family, a side relationship to find the satisfaction we deserve. The world tells you everyone lies to get ahead and the end justifies the means. The world tells you that everyone gossips, everyone's exploring those dark corners of the internet, everyone is gone every weekend from their family, from their commitments, and it's not hurting anyone. And it's only there you can find happiness. The world is constantly trying to draw us into idolatry, to the belief that something of this world can satisfy our souls, that something of this world can provide happiness. But the Bible tells us that kind of satisfaction, that kind of contentment, forgiveness, and salvation is found in Jesus alone. But it's hard because we face many of the same temptations Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced. We feel the pull of peer pressure, when everyone at the lunch table is gossiping or talking about their latest toy or relationship. We are bombarded by messaging, marketing, and images that draw us to worship the things of this world. We feel the pull that if we don't get or do X, Y, and Z, then we're going to miss out. We're going to be incomplete. Or maybe worse, my kids are going to miss out, fall behind, or be incomplete. So in the midst of that pull, we have to have a greater pull, a greater conviction And that must be that God alone is God and and that in Jesus alone is satisfaction, peace, happiness, forgiveness, and life. And this belief that Jesus alone is the source of eternal life is going to fly in the face of our politically correct culture, which does not believe in absolute truth. But Jesus in John 14, 6 leaves no doubt on this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am it. It is through me alone that one can get to heaven, that one can have eternal life, that one can be in relationship with God. There is no gray area in Jesus' statement. There are not other paths, but our culture will always push back on that. Our world will try to convince us that that belief is outdated and not true. For example, Oprah, uh, who many view as America's pastor, said, there are certainly more paths to God other than Christianity. 
She said, I'm a free-thinking Christian who believes in my way. But with six billion people on the planet, it can't possibly be the only way. Or in other words, if you believe that God alone is God and that Jesus is the source of eternal life, you are going to be called by the world a backwards person. She said this to a group of ladies on her show who were standing for truth and saying Jesus is the only way. But that belief in our culture will be called closed-minded. It's going to be called backwards, and it's going to be called hateful. But as Christians, we live with the conviction that there is no other God than God and that Jesus alone is Savior. And our faith hinges on this truth. And if we believe this is true, then we, then we have to share that hope with the world. And the reality is when Oprah, the world, and ourselves say that I am a free-thinking, open-minded Christian, we are making ourselves God. We are saying that I know better than God's word and Jesus' teaching. We are elevating ourselves to the primary source of truth. And what that really is, is blasphemy and the idolatry of self. And so that's where the world is going to call us to go. And then for us to share anything other than Jesus, the Bible says, is damning people to hell. To not stand up for Jesus is to watch people go down paths that lead away from God. So to shine in this world, we must have courage. And that courage must be founded in the conviction that God alone is God and Jesus alone is Lord and Savior. And that conviction hinges on the fact that there is absolute truth. And that absolute truth comes from God through the Bible. Our world says there is not just one God. There is not absolute truth. And that impacts how it operates and what it believes. But if you live your life believing there is a true, one true God, believing there is absolute truth, and that Jesus is the only way, your life is going to have conflict with culture. Courage comes from believing God alone is God and that the Bible is truth. And if you believe that, it's going to create a rub in your life. And those are opportunities to shine, to live differently than the world, and to proclaim the hope of the gospel. So the next thing we see in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that courage is lived out in our lives. When the war order went out, when the music played, when the people bowed down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't pull out a megaphone and start protesting. They didn't hold up signs, but instead they lived out their convictions. There are plenty of churches and denominations protesting our world. But our world, your neighbor, your family, they don't need another protest. What they need is someone in their life that loves Jesus and lives it out day after day. Our world needs people who love Jesus and live it out. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived out their faith, it got attention and it created a showdown with the king. But even then, as they stood before the king, what do they do? They speak truth. They tell their king that God alone is God. They don't insult the king or tell him he's a fool. They tell the king what they believe, what their conviction is. And then they are so full of faith that they are willing to go to the furnace for God. They live out what they believe. Let me give you the opposite example of this from the Bible. Because the, the church is full of people who have courage and conviction on Sundays, but they lose it on Monday when their beliefs are challenged. In Matthew 26, just before Jesus was arrested and killed, he tells the disciples what's about to go down. And Peter boldly stands up and he says, even if everyone else leaves, I will never deny you. Peter boldly speaks with courage and conviction when it's safe. You fast forward to that night. Jesus has been arrested. Peter's life is feeling threatened. 
things are falling apart like he couldn't imagine. And a servant girl comes up to him. And this servant girl says, you're one of those men that was with Jesus, aren't you? And Peter, when challenged, when tasked to live out his faith in the world, says, I never knew him. So friends, our call as Christians isn't to boast in our courage on Sundays, on social media, on blogs, or in protests. Our call is to live out our faith in the break room, in the cafeteria, on the ball field, on Monday night with our friends or when we're home alone. Our call is to speak truth when we're challenged, to love our neighbor when they're unlovable, and to share the hope of Jesus when we can. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego simply lived out their faith, and they speak their convictions in the midst of the crowd and before the king. Courage isn't lip service amongst fellow believers. Courage is living out our convictions within the midst of our day-to-day lives. Courage is standing for biblical truth when your friends are all sharing something that contradicts the Bible and who God is. Courage is doing the right thing when everyone else at work is cutting corners. Courage is living with integrity when the world says it doesn't matter. Courage is prioritizing your marriage, your family, your church when the world says do what feels good and makes you happy in the moment. Courage is as a teacher or administrator choosing books and textbooks and lesson plans that aren't overtly Christian, but those things that lead your students to truth as opposed to godlessness and relativism. Courage is valuing your aging parents, your aging neighbor, your aging coworker when our, when our culture says to write them off. Courage happens anytime we live our life following biblical truth in the midst of a culture that says otherwise. Courage is seen in your action. It's in doing the right thing. It's in loving and caring for your neighbor and coworkers. And courage will differentiate you from the world, and it will allow you to shine. So to have courage in this world, to shine in this world, we are not to be conformed to the idols, beliefs, priorities of this world. So then what are we to be conformed to? The Bible doesn't call us just to be reactive and against everything. And so Paul gives us that answer in Romans. Uh, in Romans 8, 28 through 29, it says, uh, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Paul says God is working our lives for good, for God's purposes, and that primary purpose in our lives is to be conformed, to be more like Jesus. So our next point is this, to shine in Babylon, we conform our lives to look more like Jesus. If we want to shine in this world, if we want to have courage in this world, then our desire is to look more like Jesus. We want to love people as Jesus loved. We want to have compassion on people as Jesus does. We want to speak truth with patience as Jesus did. We want to be self-controlled like Jesus was. We want to give our lives for God's glory as Jesus did. And we want to prioritize the kingdom of God over our kingdom as Jesus did. Paul in Romans 2, he says it again. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says, don't conform to the world. Don't pursue the world, but instead pursue after Jesus and let the Bible be the pattern, the truth, the foundation of your life. We shine in Babylon with courage. Our courage is founded in our convictions, and our convictions are strengthened as we conform and pursue Jesus. And we conform the image of Jesus uh, in two primary ways. First, we have to know who Jesus is and what the Bible teaches. So we have to be growing and learning who Jesus is. 
We do that by hearing the spoken word on Sundays, by going to small group Bible study and learning what the scriptures say, and by reading the Bible for ourselves. But intellectual knowledge alone does not conform us to the image of God. There are professors all over the world that teach the Bible as a work of literature. These people know the intellectual properties of the Bible way better than I do. But they don't take it to heart and apply it to their lives. So we need not only know the Bible, but we must also be applying it to our lives, to our situations, to our thinking, and live out its truth. The thing I love about the Bible so much is that it is so relevant and relatable to our lives. So we have to take its truth and apply it. If you're the type of person that sits through every Bible study and every Sunday morning and you assume that you have it all together and it doesn't apply to me, but you're really good at applying it to family members or neighbors or coworkers, then you're missing it. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. They applied the Bible to others, but they didn't allow it to conform their hearts and their lives. Learn who Jesus is, study who he is, and allow it to transform your lives. If you ever, this is a small commercial plug for me, but, and for small group, but if you're ever available on a Sunday night, we would love for you to join us for Bible study. This is what we try to be very intentional about doing. We read the Bible, we observe the Bible, and then we apply it to our lives, our thinking, our situations, and allow it to conform us to who God is calling us to be. So we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we are to be conformed to the patterns of the Bible and to become more and more like Jesus. That primarily is done by knowing Jesus and conforming our lives, our patterns, and our thinking to his. All right, last thing I'll say on this before we get to our final point. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed tremendous courage at a big moment in their lives. They showed incredible faith in the crowd and before the king, but this faith and courage did not develop overnight. If you remember back to Daniel chapter 1, these are Daniel's friends who also chose to stand up for God's plan and his truth in the cafeteria. Their faith to stand in the big moment in the midst of the crowd was developed in the day-to-day. It was developed in the cafeteria. Likewise, if we want to have faith in the big moments, we must have faith and courage in the day-to-day. We often think the day-to-day doesn't matter, and we look for those big moments to showcase our courage, our faith. But God desires our day-to-day faith when no one is watching just as much as our fiery furnace faith. And it's our faith in the day-to-day that will give us the courage when the big challenge comes. Live out your faith in the day-to-day with your children, in the break room, at the ball field, with your friends, and it will provide the foundation for those big moments. Be conformed, be faithful in the day-to-day like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the cafeteria. And it will provide the courage for those moments you stand before the king. They had seen God's faithfulness, his power, his goodness in the day-to-day. So they had the courage and conviction to stand before the king. So Nebuchadnezzar, he gives them one more chance to recount and recant and bow down before him. But they courageously remain committed to God. In verses 16 through 18, these men give one of the most profound testimonies of courage and faith we have in the Bible. With the pressure standing before the king and the threat of the furnace on their lives, they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods 
or worship the image of gold you have set up. So our final point is this. Courage comes from believing that God can, expecting that he will, and trusting his goodness even if he doesn't. That's what they say to King Nebuchadnezzar. King, we don't have to defend ourselves before you because God alone is God. And if you throw us into the furnace, he is able and he is powerful enough to rescue us, and we believe he will deliver us. That's a pretty amazing statement right there. But it gets better because they say even if he chooses not to deliver us, we know that he alone is God, he is good, and his ways are better. So let's walk through this statement real quickly. First of all, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believe that God can rescue them. In verse 17, they say, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Everyone in the crowd, they see this scene, and they look at these three young Jewish men, and they think, those poor kids do not know what they're getting into. They look at this scene, and they think, they are about to be squashed from the planet by the most powerful force in the universe. But these three men look at their situation, and they know that God is able, and he is more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar and all of Babylon. They have courage because they know their God is greater. As Christians, if we want to have courage in whatever we are walking through, then we must believe and know that our God is greater. God is bigger, he is greater, and he is more than capable of whatever it is you are walking through. And because of that, you can surrender your trial, your problem, your future, your family to God because he is better and he is good. God is bigger than your health crisis. He is bigger than your relationship crisis. He is bigger than the unknown in your future. He is bigger than your lost job. He is bigger than your friends. He is bigger than your struggle. He is bigger than your sin. And he is good and he loves you. God is able and he is good. That's a foundation for courage. That's a foundation to follow him. That's a foundation to let go and trust him. God is good and he alone is God. So they believe that God can rescue them and then they expect that he will. Verse 17, they say, uh, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They believe God is able and they expect that he will. How did they know this? They didn't. We see that in verse 18. But they trusted their future to God anyway. They trusted that God could and that he would provide in a way that glorified him. Now we know as followers of Jesus that we will ultimately see his goodness, his grace, his mercy in eternity. But David tells us in Psalm 27 that he is convinced that he will also see God's goodness in the land of the living or in this world. He says the rewards of our faith won't just be seen in heaven, but we will see those rewards here in life as well. There are times that our faith will be rewarded in this life and God will provide in his goodness as only he can. And there are other times that God will call us to walk in bold faith. And even in that, he will provide as only he can. So for you today, God might be calling you to bold faith, to take a step of faith where only he can provide. He is calling you to believe he can and expect that he will. For you, maybe it's reaching out and sharing your faith at work, at school, or in your neighborhood. Maybe it's by continuing to pray in that area that is out of your control and you haven't yet seen God answer. And you just need to continue to pray, trusting that he is good, he is able, and he can move. Maybe it's calling a family member or a friend that you haven't talked to in years and extending forgiveness or asking for forgiveness, believing that God can restore that relationship. Maybe for you, it's trusting God with your finances, believing that God can and will provide as he promises. Maybe for you, it's letting a grown child go, freeing them from your control, believing that God loves them more than you, that he can provide for them and that he has great plans for their life. 
Maybe it's taking a step of faith and serving. Maybe it's a, taking a step of faith and moving to a new job. Or maybe it's taking a step of faith and turning down a job or an opportunity that you know God's not in. Maybe for you it's baptism. You've trusted Jesus with your life, but the thought of proclaiming that to the world through baptism is terrifying. Trust that he will help through that, and he will honor that step of obedience. Or maybe for you, you need to take that leap and surrender your life for the first time and make Jesus Lord. You need to trust him with your eternity and receive his forgiveness. You've been unwilling to surrender, and you need to take that leap of faith. If that's you, have the courage to trust him. And if you do, the Bible tells us the results are certain in that case. The Bible says if you believe and make Jesus Lord of your life, then your sins will be forgiven. You will receive eternal life with him. And you will be given the gift, the peace of the Holy Spirit. Take that leap and trust Jesus with your life today. He loves you. He gave his life for you. And he wants to forgive you if you will turn and follow him. Whatever it is, if God is revealing something to you, know that he is able, he is good, and he will provide in his will. That's what we see at the end here. These men believe God can. They expect that he will, but they trust that God is better even if he doesn't provide the way they hope. Verse 18, but if not, king, if God doesn't rescue, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. These might be the most amazing words of faith in the Old Testament. Even if God doesn't deliver us, and he might not, We're going to talk a lot about the events of the furnace next week and how God uses the furnace. But they say, even if God doesn't provide, let it be clear, king, we would rather die in the flames following God than live in the palace with you. They believed that God was better than life. I love how Pastor Greer phrased this. He said, courage believes not only that God is bigger than the challenge, bigger than the opposition, but God is also better than the alternatives. God is better than the alternative. We will see times that God rescues in the Bible, and we will see times that God allows the lion to devour and the flames to burn. But in each case, God is better than the alternative. Jesus is enough. His rewards are greater than the alternatives this world has to offer. We talked about this last week in small group, but Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Friends, the message is don't waste your life pursuing the things of this world. But find your courage, your life, your rest, and the only thing that will last, and that is Jesus. Jesus is greater than the best alternatives this world has to offer. The Bible says it is better to live this life with nothing and spend eternity with God than to accomplish all that this world has to offer but spend eternity separated from him in hell. Jesus is enough and he is better than all the alternatives. Melinda's going to come and she's just going to play for us. And as she plays for us, we're just going to take a few minutes to bow our heads and to pray and to see what it is that God is speaking to us about. I think there's a lot of different places we could be, but a few of them would would be, first of all, do you know Jesus? Have you ever experienced his forgiveness, his grace, his new life? Have you ever experienced his peace and his goodness? The answer for you is, I don't know or, or no. Man, I would encourage you to take that leap of faith today. The Bible says you can pray something with a surrendered heart as simply as, Jesus, I know I have sinned. 
And I know that you came to earth to live the sinless life I couldn't live. I know you went to the cross and died the death that my sin deserved. And I believe you rose victorious over that death three days later. Jesus, I want to follow you with my life. I want to experience your forgiveness, your goodness, your grace, your eternity. The Bible says you pray something as simple as that with a surrendered heart, you will be forgiven. And maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus. What is it that you are pursuing in this life? What is it you have made your greatest treasure? If it's anything other than Jesus and his call, would you ask him to reveal that to you? And then would you repent and surrender that to him? Turn it over. Turn over the idols in your life and make him your greatest treasure. Then lastly, what is the area where God might be calling you to live courageously by faith for him this week? If he reveals something, write it down. Tell a friend to hold you accountable and then go and live courageously. I'm going to pray for us and Melinda's going to play and I'd ask you to bow and pray yourself. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the faith and the courage and the boldness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, we thank you for their courage, not just to, to speak boldly, but for their courage to live out their faith. God, and I pray that we would be a people that shine in this world, that shine in Babylon, because we courageously live out our lives conforming to the image of Jesus. God, I pray that we would be people that live courageously by the way we love our friends and our neighbors and our family. That we would be people that live courageously because we, we stand up and, and speak your truth when you call us to. That we would be people that live courageously because we, we have compassion and patience for the people around us. God, I pray that we'd be people that shine in this world and that many would see the hope of Jesus through us. God, I pray that you would speak to us in these next few moments and that you would, uh, that you would make it clear to us where it is you are calling us to turn and what it is you are calling us to do. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. Let me close us in prayer. God, I pray that we would be a people that turn our eyes to you. Um, and as we do, you become uh, our, our, our only God and that the, the things, the idols of this earth will grow strangely dim. God, I pray that you would, um, as we leave, that you would lead us this week. Um, you would call us and lead us to live courageously, Lord, and that we would have the faith to do so. And God, that our courage would shine in this world and people would see the hope and the love that is available in you. God, we love you. Uh, we praise you. Lord, we thank you that you have saved us and that you have given us a purpose and a mission in this life, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.
right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I have just a couple of announcements, and then we will go. Uh, first of all, we do have small group Bible study here at the church from 6 to 7. Uh, we would love for you to join us for that. If you have questions, you can come and ask me. And then we have youth group and kids night that meets Wednesday nights here at the church from 6 to 7. Um, kids night is for uh, kindergarten through 5th grade, youth group is for 6th grade through 12th grade. Uh, if you have questions about that, uh, you can come and talk with me as well, and I'd love to answer those. Uh, thank you so much for being here this week. We pray and hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you here again next week. Mm-hmm.